introduce myself. I'm Matt Dudley, the pastor of the church, in case we've never met. Good to be back. Uh, missed you guys as I was laid up, you know, with the man flu. That was worse than the man flu, I'm not going to lie. I've had the man flu, and ladies, I, I know the men will be mad at me for saying this, but we do sometimes exaggerate <laughs> with that. This was no exaggeration, though, so... Anyway, I'm not back to 100%. I feel about like a 42-year-old man right now, uh, but it's about how old I am, in case you didn't know. But anyway, it's good to be back with you, and uh, what was I going to tell you? My brain's a little foggy. You know what I'm saying? You know how it is you miss a couple weeks of church, you know what I'm saying? And then when you're the guy that's always in front of people, you just get out of rhythm. And so I'm <clears throat> slightly out of rhythm this morning, and still slightly winded, I got pneumonia. I guess I started with the flu and it developed into pneumonia. And uh, doctor said smoking it made it worse, but uh, <laughs> I don't believe him. So anyway, that's a joke. I don't smoke. So we can squash that rumor. I am on steroids though, as you can tell. So <laughs> been on steroids for about 10 days now. That is true, but not the good kind of steroids. So um, anyhow, but uh, Man, you guys, I, I can't say this enough. I, 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 look, I don't say this to flatter you. I promise. I hope you know me well enough. I'm, I'm actually quite terrible at flattery. I don't do that very well. Uh, so this, this has zero flattery involved in it whatsoever. But you are an amazing group of people. Um, while I was away, uh, everything ran smoothly. Donnie and Mike and the rest of the staff just did a fantastic job. I didn't get to be here on Friday night for the Christmas concert. But you guys turned out. And uh, I was checking up on you. We've got security cameras that I can look at on my phone. And so when I, when I peeked in on that night, I was, I was amazed at the turnout. And then I don't know if Mike mentioned this, but uh, we raised $2,000 for needy families in the area that night. So thanks to Blake and Tate and Kelsey and Mark and all those that pitched in. By the way, uh, Mark Hilsey wins the contest today on the ugly sweater this oh if you're watching online it's ugly sweater Sunday I don't normally dress this way I'm normally very dapper and stylish <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> Mark wins it Mark took that picture of me and Jim Bartle about a month ago and I told him when he snapped the picture I said if that if that gets in the newspaper I'm gonna kill you and he didn't put it in the newspaper he put it on a freaking sweater <laughs> and so anyway he's running around somewhere with that but uh, Back to what I was saying, you guys are amazing, and uh, I'm just thankful for all that you do, and this year we'll have the privilege of taking care of uh, 20 plus families, I, I don't know the exact amount, but 20 plus families will get Christmas this year because of your giving uh, in our community, that's, that's, that's in addition to what we do with Operation Christmas Child and other ministries, right here in our community, 20 plus families will, will get Christmas uh, because of you, and I'm thankful for you, and you deserve a round of applause, so let's, let's hear that. Otherwise, go with me to Acts chapter 28. This whole thing threw me off. You know what I'm saying? Like I plan to the last Sunday of November to be the big crescendo, right? We were going to finish the book of Acts, and then I was going to start a series in December. And so this whole week, I've, been, I've just been jacked up. Like, what am I supposed to do? Uh, we've, we've gone two Sundays past uh, my schedule and... Uh, you know, and now again, I was going to start a series. Here's how cool the series was. We were going to do a series in December called It's a Wonderful Life. Is that not the best Christmas movie ever made? And so I was going to take some things from that, that movie and, uh, and apply some stuff and really just show you about 30 minutes of movie each Sunday. But uh, no, but so I really wrestled with where to go this Sunday. Um, I thought about trying to hybrid the two together. And nothing made sense except to go back to Acts 28. I, I just can't see spending the whole year in the book of Acts and then just dropping it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like not really finishing it off. So I want to give you this. It won't take a whole lot of time. I don't have a lot of wind. Uh, I, get, I get winded pretty easily. And that's, that's the point at which you're supposed to go, oh, poor guy. Yeah, I know. I need sympathy, you know. Whether we admit it or not, guys love sympathy. We really do. And so uh, that was just to, to, to try to garner some sympathy from you. But uh, this will be fairly brief, because uh, i got to save some strength for the 11 o'clock people, though you are my favorite of the two, <laughs> right? Don't tell them I said that. But uh, anyway, 
Some of them are so crazy, they'll watch this service online and then still show up at the 11 o'clock. And they're like, it was just so good, I had to come and hear it live. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I read somewhere they said that watching church online is like having a fireplace picture on your TV. You know, you can see the effects, but you can't feel the heat. And that's just, that's just sort of how it is. But anyway, we're in Acts chapter number 28. Begin reading with me in verse number 1. It says, now when they had escaped, they found them, or they, they then found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw that no harm had come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Logical. Verse 7. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the land whose name was Publius who received us and entertained us courteously for three days, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Father, thank you for this time to gather together. Lord, thank you just uh, for the privilege to be back. We take so many things for granted, and Lord, I don't ever want to take this church for granted or this time that we have to share with one another. So Lord, we pray that you'd be right in the middle of everything that's said and done. I pray that you would speak to every heart. Please give me wisdom to say all that I need to say, and, and Father, I pray that what can't be said with mortal words would be interpreted through your spirit to the heart of the hearer. I pray that you'd minister individually to every person here. We all have different needs, we all are at a different point in our journey, and I pray that as only you can, you'd supply those unique and special needs for your unique and special purpose in our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let me take you back to Acts chapter 27 and give you just a little bit of a recap because again, it's been a few weeks, right? Uh, you're aware of the fact by now, if you've been with us on this journey, that, that in the book of Acts, as the book of Acts specifically draws to a close, the spotlight of Christ's kingdom on earth is aimed at the Apostle Paul. Paul became the central figure at the time, and though we do not venerate human beings to a level of worship or adoration, we do recognize that God and His sovereignty ordains individuals with special callings and special purposes for the proliferation, the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at this time, God had elevated Paul. Paul was the primary spokesman. He was the dude, right? If they had TV and YouTube and the tickety-tock back then, Paul would have been all over the place. He was the guy that God was so mightily using. And again, we don't worship people, right? We're not, we're not creating statues and images of the Apostle Paul and bowing down and praying to Paul. But we also want to honor the fact that God uses people. God sometimes in his selective sovereignty chooses to use certain people at certain dispensations of time. And at this time, Paul was the guy. Well, in Acts chapter number 27, again, as we have been looking at Paul's life cascading toward its, its desired end, uh, Paul and those sailing with him uh, en route to Rome found themselves in the center of a life-threatening storm. It's called Eurachlodon. The word Eurachlodon is not commonly used nowadays. I don't know if you all use that in your in your everyday vocabulary, uh, but uh, you know we don't refer to storms as Eurachlodon. It's it's a reference to a typhoon-like storm that was actually is actually fairly unique to that part of the world, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, you can be out there, and uh, these storms will just pop up, and you can't tell which direction it's coming from. You know, like Dave Murray. You know, get on and say, well, we've got an Alberta Clipper coming out of the north and whatnot. I mean, uh, uh, a Eurachlodon type storm, you can't really identify which direction it's, it's traveling. It comes from the north, the south, the east, the west. In other words, it hits you from every direction all at one time and creates a great deal of confusion. And we made some applications about that a few weeks ago. How that, uh, there's that sweater right there. I just can't stop. I can't help but stop and take notice of it. It's a beautiful thing. Sexy legs on that guy, by the way. But uh, 
you know, but, but we made some applications how that when we find ourselves in life, uh, in the midst of storms, often storms have a way of throwing us off balance. We get off, we get off kilter. Uh, oftentimes in, in, the, in the middle of a trial, a deep sense of, of, of desperation uh, often floods our hearts and we, 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 we tend to shift in one direction or the other. As human beings, uh, we are directionally challenged when it comes to spiritual things. And we often, we often find ourselves confused, and, 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 and I shared some stories with you how I've dealt with people during times of tragedy where, where they will spiritualize everything, and, and it's like they can't accept that it's bad, and they can't accept that it hurts, and they can't accept that it just actually sucks in that moment, right? I mean, it's okay when things suck to say they suck, right? You know, you don't have to put on a facade, you don't have to pretend, there's nothing spiritual about being fake. If you're hurting, it's okay to admit that you're hurting, and oftentimes that is the very thing that will help set you free when you're able to be honest about it, and say, you know what, God's good, and I love the Lord, and it doesn't change my, my perspective or my, my relationship with Him, but this just absolutely stinks right now, and, and I am hurting, and I need to talk, and I need to vent, and I need to cuss, and I need to just be able to, to express my heart so somebody can pray for me. For, scratch that part about cussing. But anyway, uh, but, then we, but, but then sometimes people shift to the other end of the spectrum and we just abandon our faith. And, you know, when, when trials come and, and, and we find ourselves going through terrible situations, you know, we, we, we feel like God's forsaken us and we'll, we'll go the opposite way and we'll look to earthly means to try to find comfort. When in reality, there is a balance. It's okay to say that it stinks. It's okay to be honest about what you're going through. But at the same time, we need to pin our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul did. And so in the midst of this storm, uh, the situation seems so hopeless at times that, that at one point in the middle of the chapter, I believe it's verse number 20, uh, it actually makes the statement that these men on the ship, it said that it seemed all hope that they should be saved was lost. There was absolutely no end in sight. It seemed like this problem was going to continue on until they met their ultimate fate in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sea of wreckage uh, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, except for the fact that Paul... Uh, resigned to the idea that this would not be the end. And Paul got alone with God, and Paul began to pray, and Paul began to cry out. And in the midst of despair, God gave Paul a message of hope, of which Paul was able to stand in front of the other men. These men were probably mostly heathen, unbelieving, pagan people. And Paul said, hey, I know all hope seems to be lost. I know there's really no end in sight. But I was with the Lord, and an angel of God stood with me, and he said everything's going to be all right. And so I want to tell you, we're going to make it, right? Have you ever had anybody say something to you in the midst of a trial, and it might have been very simple, but for you in that moment, it was profound? Just something as simple as, hey, you're going to be all right. You're going to make it through to the other side. That was really all Paul did. He said, hey, guys, we're going to survive this. Now, the ship's going down, and we're going to lose all the cargo, but everything, everybody is going to be all right. And so notice this. In verse number 44, y'all remembering this? Do I need to... Preach the whole chapter again. You good? All right. Verse number 44, it says, <coughs> and, and this is how it ended, right? Here's how, the, here's how their voyage ended. It says, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. God didn't say you're going to land in a mansion somewhere, but he said you're going to get there, right? They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't sail smoothly into port. Uh, on a cruise ship, they had, to, they had to hold on to broken pieces of the ship <clears throat> and just barely make it, but they made it. And in verse number 29, or verse number 1 of chapter 28, it says, now when they had escaped, and that's a great statement, isn't it? They finally escaped. You ever go through situations in life and you just feel like you're never going to get out of it? And then finally one day you wake up, whatever it might be, and it's over. It's like, holy cow. I thought this would never end, and, it, and it's finally over, and that's what happens, and there's such a, just this sense of relief in chapter 28, verse number one, when you read that statement, that, that, that they escaped, they were safe, they survived, and what seemed like would last forever was finally over. And then in verse number two, if we read on just a little bit more, we find that, 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 that there was even a moment of reprieve that was afforded to them. They had some creature comforts. Paul, in verse number two, is cozied up next to a campfire. Now, there are very few things, in my opinion, in this life more relaxing than sitting next to a campfire. I can stare off into nothing for hours 
at, looking at a campfire. And so they had, been, they had been soggy and sopping wet, and they had almost drowned, and they had to hold on to pieces of this ship to even make it to land. But now, as they arrived there, number one, the natives didn't eat them, which was pretty awesome. You know, you never know what you're going to get. They landed there at Malta. These, this could have been a cannibalistic tribe, but uh, they didn't eat them. And so that was a bonus. And then it says that they kindled them a fire. They built them a fire and gave them a nice place to, place to sit, offered them something to eat. And now here's Paul. Just, just a few days before, he was thinking he was going to die. Now he's sitting on this little island next to a fire. He's starting to dry out. He's staring off into space. And things are good, right? Things are good. The storm has passed. They survived, the, 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 they survived being shipwrecked. And now they're sitting there beginning to dry out. He's not as soggy as he was. He's peaceful and finally starting to get warm and thinks to himself, okay, try to put yourself in Paul's shoes, sitting next to a campfire, clothes are beginning to dry out. He thinks to himself, you know, this is nice, isn't it? I'm going to need you all to get a little bit more engaged today. <laughs> Go with me. Stay here, right? We're thinking like Paul. He's sitting by this fire. He's been sopping wet, right, probably fighting a head cold, I can identify. And, uh, and man, he's got to be thinking in this moment, this, this is pretty good, right? I'm on a desert island, these people are feeding me, my clothes are drying out, my ears aren't full of water anymore, I'm warm, this is nice. And so the fire brought him comfort, and so Paul did what probably most of us would do, guys are never satisfied with a small campfire. Am I right? It can, all, it can always be bigger. And so Paul, the Bible tells us that Paul gathered a bundle of sticks. And he said, I think I'm going to just, I'm going to kindle this fire. I'm going to throw some more sticks on the fire. Keep this baby burning for a little while longer. And in chapter 28, verse number 3, it says that when he gathered the bundle of sticks and threw them into the fire, out of the fire came a viper and bit him on the hand. You've got to be kidding me. He just survived a typhoon in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea that literally took an angel from God to show up on the scene to even get them safe to land. And then he has a moment of reprieve, everything's going well, and a freaking viper out of nowhere latches on to Paul's hand. Man, sometimes it just seems like it never stops. I mean, we had two verses of good stuff. That's it. That's all you get. Two verses of good stuff and then a snake bit him on the hand, right? Now, Paul, you know, was probably like a typical guy. As I said, God greatly used him, but he's not, he's not some, you know, worshipful saint. He was just a guy, and guys are stupid. <laughs> Ladies, don't amen that that loud. We're dumb, though, and I mean, I, I mean, obviously, how do you pick up a bundle of sticks and not see that there's a big snake in it? Last time I checked, vipers are pretty ugly and mean looking. Ugh, but, uh, you know, I've always said if you ever hear anything, you know, crazy, tragic happen to me and I died, I give you full permission to just go ahead and assume that I did something stupid. I'm my own worst enemy, and it was like Paul had a good situation going, and he couldn't leave well enough alone, and he grabbed a bundle of sticks and gets bit by a snake. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend just the next few minutes summarizing chapter 28 and, and wrapping up the essence of the book of Acts as a whole with some pretty simple statements, okay? I'm not going to give you any deep dynamics. If you want some deep dynamics, by the way, come to uh, church on Wednesday night. We just got into an incredibly cool study that I think you'll be interested in. But uh, today I'm just going to give you some very simple stuff uh, from the book of Acts, and I want to try to wrap the whole thing together in a nice little package for you. Number one, you ready? Ready for statement number one? If you're ready, say, hey, we're ready for statement number one. All right, you'd make a great choir. Statement number one is that the central focus of our lives should be to find and fulfill the will of God. Now, if we, again, if we just summarize the book of Acts and we observe the people, these earth shakers that we've studied for all these months, if we observe their lives, we discover that the one thing that they all had in common was that they pursued the purpose for which they had been created and designed by God 
they sought the will of God, they desired the will of God, and then they spent the rest of their days trying to fulfill what they believed God had called them to do. Now, you and I are not the Apostle Paul, we're not James, we're not John, we're not any other patriarch or matriarch of the faith, but, but your life and my life was created to have meaning. We were created to serve a purpose within the landscape of the kingdom of Christ. You were not just put here to exist and find some rhythm in life and all of a sudden pass away one day without leaving a mark. God put you here for purpose. God has created you for a specific reason. And God has gifted you and God has called you and God has given you a certain little niche in life that you fit into and only you can fit into. And so our primary goal, if the God of all creation, if the God of all the universe created us for a specific reason, then our primary goal ought to be to discover that purpose, to discover that desire, those decrees, those, those purposes for which God has set before us and live out our days seeking and pursuing to fulfill that purpose. Now listen to this, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. You should learn these verses because they are so pivotal to your faith. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul, same guy, says, I beg you, I'm pleading with you, I beseech you by the mercies of God, that you do what? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, let me borrow from my other series that I was going to preach. I got so much going on in here, it'll be amazing if any of this makes sense today. But in the, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, do you remember that segment in the movie when, uh, when the main character, what's his name, James Stewart's the guy, but the character, George Bailey. Remember when George Bailey, his uncle had screwed up and lost $8,000, y'all remember that? Gloating to Mr. Potter, right? He lost the $8,000, then George was taking the blame for it, and he's running around, and, and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and, and Potter looks at George when George goes groveling to his arch enemy, he sits down in Potter's office. And, and he's trying to sell his life insurance policy. You remember this? And Potter said something to George that I, that I think is profound. He said, George Bailey, I can't impersonate his voice. I'd sound stupider than I normally do if I tried. But he says, George, you're worth more dead than you are alive. Y'all remember that statement? And that was a critical thing for him to say. Obviously, he was being unkind and he was a jerk and he was the devil incarnate. Right? If you study the movie... And you analyze stupid stuff like I do, then Potter represents the devil. But you know, sometimes your enemies will make true statements. If you look past the offense and look past the hurt and look past the insult, sometimes your enemies can make some of the most dynamic and profound statements that you'll ever hear. And that statement to George Bailey, you're worth more dead than you are alive, is true of each of us. Paul said, I beg you that you present your bodies as living sacrifices. What's a sacrifice? It's a dead thing. It's something that's laid down. It's something that's offered up as a sacrifice. He said, I, I'm pleading with you that you offer yourself, your life, in this place of surrender. Now, I would never ask you to surrender to another human being fully. That's bad advice, right? That's a little thing we call a cult. But when we're speaking in reference of, of the God of all creation who's, who's begging us to bring our lives, bring what we have, bring me your body, bring me your mind, bring me your, your abilities, bring me your emotions, bring me all that you have and lay it down as a sacrifice before me. Well, what's the purpose then? He said, well, the purpose is so that you can discover what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God when you offer your life as a sacrifice to God when you come to him willingly yielding and say and confessing God I don't know everything I can't understand today much less tomorrow I don't know where I'm going I don't know why I'm here I don't know what my purpose is I've tried in vain 10,000 ways and and just still feel empty but God I want to give you all that I have as little as it may seem to other people I want to give you my life God said if you will do that he'll take your life and he'll apply his power and he'll apply his purpose and he'll give you meaning and he'll reveal to you the reason for which he placed you on this planet and so I'll say with Potter we're all worth more dead than we are alive 
Paul later wrote to the Galatians, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I've been crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. He said, true life is found when I lay my life down for the purpose of Jesus Christ. I'm crucified with him, yet I live, yet not I. It's not me. It's Christ living in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, our primary goal ought to be to discover the will of God. And then once we discover the will of God, we discover the reason for which we've been created. We ought to live out our days trying to fulfill that purpose. Now think about this, Romans chapter 8 verse 28, another passage that you ought to be familiar with. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, we know that all things work together for good. Now I've said this before, but it bears repeating, we, this is probably one of the most out of context verses that we try to apply to every single situation. We try to take this passage and quote just a little piece of it. And we say things like, we know that all things work together for good, well no they don't. For everybody, that's not true. I'd love for everything to be equal and everything to always work out for everybody, but that's not what the Bible never promises that. It does say, however, that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. So, so when we discover this purpose that God has, has made us for. We discover the meaning of our lives, not just the meaning of life in general, but we discover the meaning of our lives. God has put a unique patented stamp on every one of us, and when we discover the reason for which God has designed us and we have laid down our lives and said, God, not my will, I want your will, I want your purpose, I want your plan, I don't want my desires, I don't want my aspirations and, and all of my ideas, I want everything that you have for me. He said, when you come to that point of surrender, in that little realm, all things will work together for good. Now, if I was a salesman, I would tell you that's a good sales pitch right there. Because if for no other reason, that's a good reason to give your life over to God, to have the insurance that everything that happens within the purpose of God's plan is going to work together for good. Now, there's no sales pitch here, but that'd be a good one if there were, right? If you had an insurance plan that says, hey, every, every investment, everything you do, all right, at some point is eventually going to work out, I'm sold, Right? I'll invest all of my savings, which won't amount, amount to a whole lot, but I'd invest everything I have in that. If you gave me an insurance policy that everything I did was eventually going to work out, I'm down. Amen? You remember what I said about 10 minutes ago about being more engaged a little bit, just helping me out? It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome if y'all could do that. But we know all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. God has made you for purpose. We get, so, we get so caught up in the system of this world, which is really what Paul warned against. He said, I, I beg you to present your bodies a living sacrifice and don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't get caught up in the system of the world. Don't get caught up in, in, in all the things that the world is doing. You're different. You're unique. You've been called out by God. For a, you've been predestined for a purpose. So, so don't settle for second best. Don't settle, to, don't settle into the, to the system of the world. You're better than that. God's designed you for more than that. And when you'll do that, he'll reveal to you his good and his perfect will. We've got to wrap up chapter 28, so hurry up. Y'all ready? Let me make a few applications now. Now, I don't want to make this sound like if you, if you yield your life to live for God that everybody's always going to be on your side. That's this false prosperity gospel that's been propagated, namely in the United States and other parts of the world as well. But, you know, this idea that, you know, if you just give your life to Jesus, everything will be wonderful. God wants you to be a millionaire and whatnot. And if he does, dadgummit, he's sure failed me. I mean, if that's the goal... I've missed it. That's certainly not the goal. You don't see it anywhere in the Bible. In fact, all those in the book of Acts, the apostles all died martyrs' deaths. Wasn't exactly the way I would have chosen to go out. It's not the way I'd choose it. I don't think it's the way they'd have chosen it. But 
It's just what happened. There's no insurance. There's no guarantee that living for God is going to see you through, you know, just peaceful, blissful seasons all the time. But I want to make a few, few, few notations here as we wrap up chapter 28 and the book of Acts. First of all, I want to say that, that you will be misunderstood in life. Just get used to it. People are going to misunderstand you. You remember in verse number four after Paul got bit by that snake, had a viper on his hand, the people who were being so nice to him, the islanders of Malta who were, who were being so kind to him, when Paul got bit on the hand, they said, well, this guy no doubt is a murderer. It's quite a leap, isn't it? But they just assumed because, you know, I mean, obviously this storm that, that hit on the Mediterranean Sea was his fault. It's his fault that, the, that, the, that this ship was crashed. It's his fault that they lost all their cargo. It's his fault that they don't have a boat. It's his fault that they're marooned on this island. And now, because he escaped the sea and he's got to obviously be guilty, no doubt justice has been served and he got bit by a snake. That's what he, that's what he had coming to him. Right? Now, was that true? Not even close. But they just assumed because bad things happened to him, it had to be his fault. Isn't it amazing how quickly people leap to conclusions? A few bad things break loose in your life, and think, oh, well, you know, they, they had that coming. I got news for you. You got it coming, too. <laughs> if we all got what we deserved, we'd be in trouble. But people are going to misunderstand you. If you try to live your life for God, I promise you this. Now, you can just settle into status quo. You can be normal. You can be the same. You can be lame like everybody else. But if you try to live your life for God and you try to be different, and you try, by the way, you talk about, everybody's like, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm my own individual. The most individual thing you can do is find out who you are in Christ and stop trying to fit into everybody else's mold and their, other, and their cookie cutter patterns of what they think you should be, if you'll just discover who you are in Jesus and start living that, you will be different. And when you're different, people will misunderstand you. And people will judge you. Did you know that? I know this is all shocking. But people will judge you. They'll sit back in their courts of opinion and make judgment calls. Thank God. They're not the judges of the universe because we'd all be screwed. But they're going to stand back and judge and they're going to make decisions and they're going to, they're going to sit and they're going to talk and they're going to say, well, no doubt, no doubt this guy was a murderer. No doubt she's done this and they've probably done that. And, but then watch what Paul did. It says in verse 5 that Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, I don't quote poetry very often, but I want to try to quote you a poem in this sermon, okay? It goes a little something like this. I stay out too late, go on too many dates. That's what people say. Mm-mm. That's what people say. Mm-mm. But I just shake it off. A shake it off. A shake it off. A woo-hoo-hoo. Right? And don't say I'm not cultured. Don't you ever leave here and say that preacher has no class. That's quoted you the great Britney Spears. <laughs> you, you, honestly, stop for just a second. Y'all didn't think I was going to pass that up, did you? <laughs> Paul shook a snake off his hand. Did you think I was going to pass up singing Shake It Off? Jeez. I thought you had more confidence in me than that. But Paul just, man, he, you know, there is a lot of truth in that, right? I wouldn't suggest you go on so many dates, Brittany. I mean, there's maybe a reason why people keep making that decision and those determinations, but whatever. I would suggest when people criticize you and judge you, you just learn how to, how to let it go. You can't let it get in your heart. You can't let it get in your head. It's going to happen. Man, look, if you think everybody's going to like you, if you think everybody's going to like me, you're crazy. People are going to judge you, especially if you're doing something with your life. You can sit around and, and you, can, you, know, you can just go through the motions and you just sort of float aimlessly through life. Nobody will say a thing. But you start actually achieving some things. You start, you start actually having some success. And I promise you, people will judge you and people will criticize you. 
Because everybody wants to see you get by, they just don't want you to get by them. And when you start doing better than they're doing, and you might drive a little nicer car, or live in a little nicer house, or you might get some recognition and notoriety that they don't get, I promise you they're going to do their best to cut you down, because misery loves company. So you've got to learn what it is just to let it go, baby. You just got to shake it off. Shake it off. I hate that song for the record, just so you all don't go, man, he likes Britney Spears. I don't. What? Taylor Swift. See, I don't even know. That's Taylor Swift. Oh, I do kind of like Taylor Swift. She's no Carrie Underwood, but I'm just saying. Taylor, that's really Taylor Swift. Got to give credit where credit's due. Did you know that, Blake? Of course you freaking knew that. Oh, man. How many of you guys didn't know that? That's shocking. Actually, that's a little scary that only a few of you didn't know that either. All right. Well, anyway, let me say this to you. We got to hurry, guys. <laughs> let me say this. Just, just, just taking notice. You ready? The same people who applaud your victories will applaud when you fail. And often with a noticeable amount of emphasis on the failure. Let me say that again. Because some of you were still thinking about Taylor Swifty. The same, isn't that what you call her? Swifty? Swifters? I have no idea. The same people who applaud your victories, because they often will. When it's popular to applaud for you, they will. Right? When everybody else on Facebook is liking and loving and wanting some more of it, right? It's another great Britney Spears song. <laughs> Since I'm so far off today, might as well just go with that. But the same, same people who, who are applauding you in public, when other people are applauding you because, you know, they, they just want to fit in, Right? You don't want to be the one negative voice and everybody else is applauding. But the same crowd that applauds your victories will applaud, often with much more emphasis, your failures. Now, here was what was so crazy about Paul. First, when the snake bit him, they said, this dude's a murderer. He made it out of the wreckage of the sea, but justice has been served and, and he couldn't possibly survive, so he got bit by the snake, and they stood back, and they waited with anticipation for him to swell up and croak, right? Like just wringing their hands. Oh, I know what's coming. We've seen people bit by vipers out here. They didn't have any anti-venom back then. They're standing back just waiting for him to swell up. Well, then when he didn't, check this out. Here's how fickle people are. They go, he's a god. Now look, man, I could have found some balance in between devil and God, right? They immediately leapt from this guy as a devil, he's a murderer, he's a killer, that he's a God and they wanted to worship him. <coughs> the same people who criticize and those who applaud are going to be, look, they're just people. And you've got to accept that. Man, we put so much stock in people. We put so much emphasis in what people think about us. Did you know it's crazy? I mean, this is crazy, and I, I've kind of said this before, but I'm going to say it very bluntly, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but just be prepared for this next statement. Are you ready? Some people aren't going to like you. It's shocking. I'm, I'm standing here shocked at myself saying that. Some people are not going to like you, and I'm not saying they're not going to like you because you're a jerk. Don't be a jerk and then be like, eh, I'm just being martyred for Jesus. No, you've been a jerk to people. And that's why they don't like you, all right? I've said this often. I think we need a revival of Christian kindness. Christians just need to learn what it is to be nice to people. It'd be a wonderful revolution. But I'm saying when you're trying to do your best, you know, the Bible says as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. That's sometimes a tough thing to do. Some people deserve, you know, their jaw to get jacked. But God said as much as you can possibly avoid doing that, do it, right? If you can keep from punching somebody in the face, you should. Amen? Now, I think, there's a little, I think there's a little levity in that where God says, you know, if you can't, just freaking hit them then. <laughs> it doesn't say that. I said that. God didn't say that. But I'm talking, you're doing your best. You're trying to, to live right. You're trying to be kind. You're trying to love people. 
There's still people out there that's going to judge you and criticize you and cut you down. They're not going to like you. They might even block you and unfriend you on Facebook. I mean, how do you live with this kind of stuff? But, but let me say this. If you live by applause, you'll die by applause. If you live by the approval of men, you'll die by their disapproval. And so we have to learn what it is to just be dead to it all. I had somebody tell me one time, they said they, that you'll know when you're truly dead to yourself when criticism and compliments have the same effect on you. When criticism and compliments have the same effect on you, you've probably gotten somewhere. Because the same people that criticize you will compliment you to your face. It means very little. And I'm not being pessimistic here. I'm just saying we've got to quit putting so much stock in what people think and realize we are who we are by the grace of God. And the only person I have to please is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm not living for people's applause, and I'm not living for people's approval, and that's a pretty good thing. It's a good way to live. Number two, I said we got to hurry. Y'all ready? we got to finish chapter 28 today. I have no choice. Number two, and this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but you need to hear it. Ready? God doesn't owe us anything. If I'm just summarizing the chapter in the book of Acts, I would say God doesn't owe us anything. Now look, Paul's at Rome. Okay, this was his final destiny. He had been tried by the Sanhedrin. He appealed to Caesar. So he's now been shipped to Rome because he was a Roman citizen, though he was a natural-born Jew. He was also born a, a Roman citizen in Cilicia and, uh, of Greece. And so now he's been transported. He's finally arrived in Rome to stand trial before Caesar. Okay? And before that, you know, they, they left him in holding for a long time. They actually put Paul on house arrest. You remember what I said before about at his age, you know, it probably would have been nice to lay out on the beach of the Mediterranean Sea, you know, smoking a Cuban or whatever, right, if they had such things back then, such wickedness as, you know, cigars. But at his age, it probably would have been nice to be laid up out on a beach somewhere. He was retirement age, and yet he was pressing forward and pursuing the purpose of God and he said things like, you know, this, none of this stuff in this life matters to me. I just want to finish the course that God's put me on. Pretty awesome statements. But here's the beautiful thing. Even in prison, okay, when he gets to Rome, even being a prisoner, they basically put him on house arrest and let his friends come and go as they pleased. He had one guard watching over him. Really wasn't all that bad. Right? I'm mean, still prison. Don't get me wrong. But Paul was able to sit and do his writing, and he was able to share. And so he had gathered a, a, a group of Jews in the area together, and he was just sort of explaining himself to them and, and telling them how he had trusted in Jesus. He was a Jew and a Pharisee, but he got converted on the road to Damascus, and he's repeating his testimony over and over to them. But watch what happens in verse number 24 of chapter 28. Uh, <coughs> it says that, And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. That's how it's always going to go. Some people believe, some people won't. Verse 25, so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Again, here's how fickle people are. They hung out with him until he said one thing. And here's what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying. Now they knew that he was aiming this at them. And they knew this prophecy very well. In fact, this, this prophecy, it's Isaiah chapter number 6, verses 9 and 10 that we're about to read that Paul's quoting this is one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. So you find New Testament writers, you find Jesus quoting the Old Testament frequently. This is the most commonly quoted passage from the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so they knew exactly what Paul was talking about. He said, look, the prophets prophesied the, exactly right uh, when the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah, saying, here's what he said, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear. And shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the ears of this people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. That was the one thing that Paul said that made him so mad that they stopped listening. They shut him off. Because essentially, here's what Paul said to him. He said, you know, God has, has extended his mercies to you. Jewish people, he's speaking to the Jews at the time. He said, God has extended his mercies to you over and over and over again. <clears throat> and yet you've shut your ears. You've, you've, you've turned a deaf ear 
to the voice of God, through the prophets, through the Messiah. Now through the apostles, you have continually turned a deaf ear to God. Know this, God doesn't owe it to you to keep speaking. God doesn't have to keep repeating himself. God does not owe you anything. I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile. God doesn't owe you anything. And when he said that, it made them so mad, they just said, fine, we're not going to listen then anyhow. <coughs> right? They said, well, if God's not going to speak, then we're not going to listen. Well, fine, because he's not speaking anymore. Now, here's the problem. We, we are not Jews. We're not living in that dispensation. But Jews were very... Well, they still are, if I'm to be honest about it. They're still quite arrogant in their, in their religious you know, background. They're of the patriarchs, Abraham, and that's, their pedigree is, is very sacred to them, and rightly so. There's nothing wrong with that. God used the nation of Israel in great ways. But, but essentially what Paul is saying to the Jewish people who, who have been greatly blessed and greatly used of God, he's saying, look, guys, God doesn't owe you this. God doesn't owe it to you to keep pouring out blessings. God doesn't owe it to you to keep speaking to you. God doesn't owe it to you to keep sending you prophets and preachers and spokesmen. God doesn't owe you anything. And I'd say to you this morning, God doesn't owe you anything. We've been mightily blessed by God. But we could lose it as quickly as we got it if we fail to recognize the fact that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. It's the grace of God. It's not because we're better. It's not because we've achieved some higher, higher level in life. We're not some you know, supremacy of human, humanity. We are just normal people who've received grace from God's good hand. And if we don't take notice of that on a consistent basis, we might lose it. God doesn't owe us anything. Amen. I hate having to amen when I'm preaching, guys. But we do what we got to do. And then this, okay? Y'all ready? Y'all ready to be done? I mean, this is it. We've been in the book of Acts all year. I'm feeling a little bit sentimental and emotional right now because we're about to wrap it up. But I want you to turn to Acts chapter 29 with me real quick. (coughs) Turn to Acts chapter 29. I want you to see the final chapter of this saga. You're not finding it? All right, I can see you're having a hard time. Let me throw it up on the screen for you. Here's the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. Not me. Get the freaking camera off me. There you go. You are Acts chapter 29. Really, if you, if you read the last part of the chapter, the book sort of ends without an ending. Read it. There's really no ending to it. It just sort of says, yeah, you know, Paul kept doing what he was doing. There's no great crescendo. There's no closing. That's because the book of Acts is not going to end until the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns to take us home. You are Acts chapter number 29. And I wish that were original. Somebody already created a church network called Acts 29. I'm kind of ticked off about it because it's pretty clever. But the fact is, we are the continuation of the book of Acts. So, Don't expect God to do exactly what he did in Acts 2 or chapter 3 or chapter 5 or 10 or 15 or 20. It's not going to be a repeat. It's going to be something brand new because the Bible tells us the mercies of God are new every day. And while we're screaming about, you know, what God did back in the the days of old, the fact is the prophet said that God would be doing a new thing in our day. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God didn't go to sleep in Acts chapter 28. He's still alive and he's at work His life and his work is in you. And you are the continuation of the book of Acts. Now, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, was that not the most awesome ending to a book you've ever seen in your life? I mean, I know it's kind of corny, but you got the point, right? You guys like corny, hokey illustrations? Because you got one. But if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I can't tell you in human mortal words how much Jesus loves you and how much he cares for you. And if you'll come to him and just simply put your faith in him, you say, I don't, I don't understand it all. You don't have to understand everything. Do you understand everything about anything? I don't understand everything. You say, explain everything in that Bible. I can't. I'm working on it. But we can't, we can't explain everything. We don't understand everything. 
But there are some things that we just accept and we believe, and I've just accepted and believed that there is a God. And that he's not some far-off, distant, unapproachable force or power floating in the universe. I believe that he's a very personal God that, as Paul said, he's, he's near every one of us. And God became a human being. He became flesh. He took up, on, took up on himself human form and went through everything that we go through, suffered every trial, every temptation, everything that we'll ever face, Jesus faced it. The difference is he, he passed every test that I've failed. And he died on a cross as a sacrifice to bring us into relationship because we deserve judgment. He took judgment. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be made right in the sight of God through him. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in him, I'm pleading with you, trust in Jesus now before it's eternally too late. And then for the most of us that can say at least that we've, we've been saved, we've been born again, have you ever come to that place of surrender where you just give God your life? So I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid of what will happen. Well, number one, I want to just say that's the lie of the devil. Because the truth is, stuff's going to happen in life regardless. You can, you can hold on to your life and try to protect your life and, you know, try to, try to build as many, as many protective layers and barriers around yourself as you possibly can. And I'm here to tell you, this old nasty world's going to get through it some way, somehow, and you're going to go through difficult seasons. The difference is, when you've yielded your life to God, nothing passes through that hedge without the hand of God being there to hold you. And it's in that realm that all things do work together for good. Not all things are good. Not all those ingredients are going to taste good. But when God mixes it all together, it's going to be good. He's going he's gonna to bring purpose through your pain. And so if you're here today and you're saved, you're a Christian, you're born again, but you've never surrendered your life, yield your heart to him. He has a, he has a purpose for you that's magnificent, it's amazing. He has a purpose for your life. And so I plead with you to yield your heart. Let's stand. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would do the work in our hearts that need to be done pray, God, that you'd speak into every situation. God, I pray that you'd speak life where the enemy has tried to work destruction. I ask, God, that you would restore those things. Father, save anyone here under the sound of my voice today that has never stepped over the threshold of faith. I pray, God, that you would call them and give them such a clear understanding of what they need to do in this moment that they couldn't, for any reason, mistake that it was your voice calling them. In Jesus' name.